You've entered a cave filled with spores, molds, and fungus. Mitty Rivers is out hunting, but just got separated from his friends. And eight-year-old Barbara Follett is typing away in her room. Be careful not to disturb her. Okay, so welcome to the first episode of Spores, Molds, and Fungus, a podcast about things we can't stop thinking about. And maybe after listening, you won't be able to either. We're your hosts. I'm Chris. And I'm Elizabeth. And uh, this is it. We're yeah, finally we're, doing it. We're making a podcast. We're finally, this is, we're making we're making a podcast. We're one of those people. We're one of those people now where we have a podcast. That's weird. The world needs more podcasts. The world needs content. Welcome to the content. The content barn. Brought to you by the content barn. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this podcast? Why are we doing this? Well, we wanted to think more about things that, like you said, we can't stop thinking about. I think both you and I are pretty obsessive people. You... Um, medically more so than me. Uh, Whoa! And... <laughs> Let's make it personal immediately. I'd like to go through the list of medications I'm on. <laughs> well, especially during this strange time where you can't really do anything other than live inside your own head. Um, it seemed like the, the right time to, to talk about obsessions. Yeah, I feel the same way. I uh, I, I think that... I actually, I was thinking about this too, that um, if you have an OCD brain, you know, which I feel like more people have than they realize, um, in the time right now, it's like you got the whole like, COVID, do I have it? Do you have it? And you don't know. Like, there's no certain answer. Like, this is the, the whole idea behind the podcast is things that you don't know the answer to. You can never find the answer to. So that's the thing that just keeps turning over and over in your head. Uh, this idea of, um, well, I'll never, I'll never know. Yeah. And I think every interaction now, like you said, becomes a source of obsession where it's like, well, we were eight feet outside and we had no masks on, but there was a lot of breeze. And I only talked to them for 10 minutes while I was standing at the end of my driveway. So I'm probably fine, but maybe I'm not. And now I have to wait two weeks to find out. And maybe even after two weeks, I don't have any symptoms, but maybe I still had it, and now I have heart damage. Right, but you'll never know. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right, that's the idea. It's like the thing, the thing that begs the question to which you'll never know the answer, right? The name of the podcast also comes from uh, a film I like to call, I like to call, it is colloquially known as <laughs> Ghostbusters. What's that? What's Ghost... This podcast is about what's Ghostbusters. Oh, no, I've just never heard it called that before. Ghostbusters? No, it's just, I Sorry, just usually call it like uh, G. Geez, you know what? I uh, G. <laughs> Why would you just call it G? <laughs> I love that film G. And G2, you know? G2. Um, I call it uh, White white Blobby Man. Here, hold on. I'm going to play this. Prince is dead. That's very fascinating to me. I, I read a lot myself. Some people think I'm too intellectual, but I think it's a fabulous way to spend your spare time. I also play racquetball. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. I don't even have to explain it. That's what we're doing here. Yeah. 
That's We're it. collecting spores, molds, and fungus. Let's get into it. We're getting into our preoccupations. So welcome to our podcast, and and I don't know if you're still listening. Let's let's uh, let's keep going. So each week we want to get into a, a a topic that we'll discuss at a high level. Just and it can be anything that we're thinking of right now, and then we'll do we'll each do a deep dive obsessively on an aspect of one specific thing in that thing. So this week we're looking at mysteriously disappeared people, right? That's obviously a bullseye idea for a podcast. It's like, boom, figured it out. Uh, I feel like people might roll their eyes when we hear that topic. Um, but it, we want to do a deep dive on it and, and talk about more than just the gory details. Uh, we're not going to do gory details, right? No, we're not interested in making you sad. We don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> I'll make someone sad. Well, I don't want to make anyone sad on purpose. It's more like, why is this something that is compelling for the brain to keep turning on? And obviously, like Chris said, mysterious disappearances is not a weird topic. I think that at some point, most people have gone down a rabbit hole with a person that, you know, they read a story about that walked out their door and never came back. Um, you know, Unsolved Mysteries, which we're big fans of here, has its share of mysterious disappearances on its episodes. And it's not a it's not an outside the box topic, but it's a good one to to get into. Yeah, and I that's so there's a Wikipedia list called um it's it's uh the list of people who disappeared, which is a, a list you can really if you're bored one day. You can just go onto this list on Wikipedia, and it's the list of people who disappeared. And I, I believe it goes back, like, centuries. Yeah, you can find stuff from, like, the 800s. And I was actually looking at, um, well, also, <laughs> the the dark the dark uh, sibling of that list, which we're not going to get into, at least on this episode of the podcast, is List of Unidentified Murder Victims. Yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah, because it has the, um, the CGI faces. And that's really, if you're not feeling good... Maybe that's the one for you. Or maybe it's the worst one you could look at. But uh, <laughs> this one, it's the list of disappeared people. I was also looking at, at there's a specific Wikipedia article on um, what it means to be a missing person. And there's categories of missing people, which is the go- the forced disappearance, which is the government, right? Like you were, f- you were killed. Mm-hmm. Fugitives who've run from the law, either, you know, broken out of prison or, or never caught. People who... <laughs> were lost in planes, which is clearly just dead. Yeah, they like died. Like, that's the one where it's like, well, he took off on Friday, and it was mildly cloudy, and the last time he was seen was over the Channel Islands at 11th. It's, like, dead. Yeah, that uh, is the funny thing about the, the list is the more you go down it and read about the cases, the more clear it is that most of them are actually not that mysterious. Yeah, where you're just, like, dead. You most know, of like, them are like, oh, that guy killed him. Dead. Like, yeah, like that. Where it says, like, he had recently published a newspaper article critical of the government's program. Forced rendition. <laughs> died. The same thing with Lost at Sea, like ships. Yeah. Where it's like, dead. You died. I mean, you know, sorry if your people are still missing and holding out hope, but they're dead. Expeditions is another one. Yeah, <laughs> expeditions. I'm going to try to be the first person to the top of this mountain. Gone. Bye. You died. We're going to focus on the otherwise unexplained. Right. So people who are disappearing of their own agency, which could be for, you know, reasons of escape from some sort. There's also the really dark category of undiscovered suicide uh, and in tandem, the undiscovered murder victim, mental illness. 
always a bright spot. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who might have just died without ID, like, hey, I'm gonna go for a ga- I'm gonna go for a, a tow truck. Oh, his wallet was in the car, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, someone who died in a disaster, where they're just like, they're we're never finding that person. Like, there's just like a a scrap of of Brooks Brothers fabric found on the roof of a uh, a diner in the middle of downtown Topeka, Kansas. You know, and we're like, I don't. That's from a tornado that hit Nebraska. <laughs> do, do you want to talk about the ones we're actually going to talk well, about? Well, were you in a, such a hurry? We have plenty <laughs> no, of time. I just don't here. want to waste people's time. Why we're not? There are we're already wasting people's. <laughs> we're wasting our own time. Okay. okay. All right. All right. So, oh, and there's kidnappings. That's obvious. Yeah, that's too. a sad there's, one. There's kidnappings or abductions. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, where do you want to go? Oh, first, I actually had a question for you. Go for it. Um, what's the scariest type of disappearance for you? Like, what's the one that creeps you out the most? I think for me, it's actually the people that you suspect wanted to disappear, where it's like, oh, there was trouble at home. Like, they had had this separate savings account, and one day they they left, and it's pretty clear that they probably, you know, took the money and tried to start a new life. I think those are scary to me because, well, for two reasons. One, I worry that they never made it work, where I'm like, oh, shit, like, they had all these plans for a new life, and probably what happened is they tried to start a new life and failed and died in obscurity, and that's really sad to me. And then the second reason that's scary to me is, like, what if somebody you know is actually on their second, you know, round of of being a person, where, where they're like, yeah, I've been teaching at this high school since 2014, and then prior to 2014, they were actually like... <laughs> Another person entirely living in another country with another life. Right. Where it's like, I'm an, I was an assassin. Or is it even scary if that person has just a normal life somewhere else? Where yeah, it like, exactly. So it's like, like, I was an accountant in Switzerland and now I am a CPA in mm-hmm. uh, lower Pennsylvania. Right. That's still scary? Yeah, that's scary because why would they, why would they go to all the trouble of starting a new life? Something happened that we don't know about. Oh, I see. So it's not tied to vocation. No. So it's like I uh, was collecting, uh, I don't know, locks of hair from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What about you? What do you think? I the have scariest, some human eyeballs. Uh, the oh, scariest disappearance. Mine, mine is when there's security footage of the person after the time of disappearance. Like if you do, oh, yeah. you know, like um, someone's like. Uh, okay, you know, person goes to the airport. Oh, they, they we we have proof that they bought a plane ticket, um, but we don't know they 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 weren't on the they weren't on the plane. But we see them check in and security right. in like Terminal Four. Right. So they like disappeared somewhere after that point. Yeah, like they didn't board the plane, but they were in the airport. Like the when it when the narrow. The narrowness of the window yeah. is extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That one's really scary to I me. have a, I have, well, I'm excited to talk to you about mine because I've got some good narrow windows here. Why don't you, why don't you start? Okay, well, I, so I chose this uh, area called the Bennington Triangle, which is not the Bermuda Triangle. Um, it's a Bennington Triangle. So it's in Southern Vermont. It actually had not. It must be Southern Vermont. <laughs> it wasn't called that until like 1992. This guy um, who was known as the Bard of the Bazaar, this sort of author in Vermont who loved to research um, strange occurrences in Vermont, he came up with this term, 
Um, I think his name is Joseph A. Citro. And in any case, the reason I think it's so interesting is because, yes, it's a rural area. Yes, it's like there's this long hiking trail that goes through there. There's a mountain. It's centered. This triangle is centered on Glastonbury Mountain, where there's an old ghost town um, that used to be a logging town that now is basically rotting ruins of nothingness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like you have all of the the good hiking woods disappearance factors. But that's actually not as interesting to me as the fact that the disappearances that people talk about all occurred within a five-year span only. So they all occurred between 1945 and 1950. There's one death in 1943 that I think I would actually plug in as the precursor to this string of disappearances. And they all occurred in the last three months of the year, all between like 3 and 4 p.m. or 4, like somewhere around that late afternoon time. And uh, none of them make any sense. And I think the fact that it's this actually contained thing, it's not something like the Bermuda Triangle where it's like, sometimes a ship goes missing. It's this contained five-year period where things were happening that makes me think some something specific was going on, um, whether that's one specific animal that suddenly... One specific <laughs> animal. ...became interested in hunting people. The Bennington or, Bear. You know, people have theorized maybe a serial killer type deal, but the interesting reason that that type, probably isn't true. Type deal is pretty good. Yeah. It's like a serial killer type uh, deal. You know, like a serial killer type deal. It's a small, a small bin, I think. Yeah. But the the reason that's probably not true is that um, the the victims or the mysteriously disappeared people are all very different. So it's not like... They were all young women between 20 and 30 with brown hair. Yeah, like um, a disappeared person that's usually in that description is is like, oh, that's the outcome is probably not great. Yeah, exactly. Because of the way society functions. So I think if I want to just run down the ones that are that are interesting and do sort of a, a deep dive on this area and then obviously, you know, interrupt me when you want. Um, hey, thanks. Yeah, no, no I'm I appreciate just giving it. you license to. Oh, man. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so if you want to start in 1943, which I think I'm arguing we should, the reason a lot of people don't include 1943 on the list is that it was a confirmed death. They found the body. Most of the other ones, no body was ever recovered. But here's what's weird. So there's a guy named Carl, <laughs> um, Carl Herrick. He's Carl. Uh, yeah, you know, a dude named Carl. He's out hunting with his cousin. He's 37 years old from the area. Um, That's how old I am. Well, you know what? Don't be Carl. Don't go to Vermont. Don't go to Vermont. At least, especially Southern Vermont. Yeah, exactly. Especially in an area where Native Americans even refused to, reportedly refused to hunt on that mountain because of some kind of spirits they believed were there. That's another tangent that people take with this. But anyway, Carl and his cousin are out hunting. They get separated, as you often do while you're hunting, but Carl is never seen again. Um, the brother, the cousin starts searching for him. Um, they don't find him. There's an, a more extensive search that goes on. And after three days, they find his body. The weird thing is that the cause of death... <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. Yeah, why, wow, you just... Cause of death? <laughs> <laughs> the cause of death is that he was squeezed to death. What the freak? His lungs actually... No. His ribs punctured his lungs. No. Because he was squeezed to death. That's not so good. that's very odd because... A bear normally wouldn't well, what about squeeze a, a person. What about a bear hug? 
I mean, we do call it that for that reason. I mean, if I got a a real bear hug, most naturalists, I could blow up. Will tell you, bears don't often squeeze people and just leave their bodies. Did you say most naturalists? I did say that. Also, can we go back to the thing you said before, where you said um, something like, as is often the case when you're hunting. You you split up from each other and someone goes missing. <laughs> it's like something like that. I'm just like uh, people get in a car and they go they go uh, hunting and they're like, okay, so most likely we're gonna get sp- we're gonna get split up and just, we're not gonna be able to find each other. I don't so think it's don't that disappear. I just don't think it's that weird that they got separated initially. But okay, yeah, because the they're outdoors. His, I got it. His okay, body okay. was squeezed to death. Is is a bear odd. hug? I think we can agree that's odd. He was bear hugged. It also death. doesn't fit that like you know, oh, he got lost in the mountains and tripped and fell. Like you wouldn't, it would be, I don't know how you fall in such a way that it looks like you were squeezed. You know what I mean? Hey, it's, could happen. Could, we're not. Mick world. Um, but then there's like a two year nothingness. Then you've got this guy named. He's a two year nothingness. Two year nothingness. <laughs> then you've got this guy named Mitty Rivers. Um, he is, <laughs> why are you laughing at his name? That's his name. Then you got this guy, Mitty Rivers. Mitty Rivers. He was an old man. I don't have not, the computer. Not Buddy Waters, Mitty Rivers. Mitty Rivers, yeah. He was, I think he was 78. Should I look that up? You, you mean right now? Yeah, like should okay. I? Well, he's in his 70s. He's older, um, but he's very experienced uh, outdoorsman. He knows the area really well. He often actually led groups of people through the wilderness there. So he was sort of like a tour guide in the area. Um, he's also hunting. Um, he's got a hunting group with him. Gets a little bit ahead of the group, but nobody's too worried about it because, you know, he knows the, he knows where he where he is. He grew up in the area and just uh, disappears and no one finds him ever. He was actually, I looked it up. He was actually 74, not 78. He is never found again. And that starts to bother people because even though he was older, they should have been able to find something. There was an extensive search and they knew the trails he was on, and nothing was ever found of him. Now, some people will say that one possible explanation for his disappearance is that there was this ghost town there that I mentioned, um, this town of Glastonbury that used to be a logging town. Um, and it had this sort of weird, long, tragic history. One of those things where like, this is a town that's just never going to make it. Um, and some people suspect that there may have been wells dug by the people of the area that maybe maybe Mitty Rivers fell in an undiscovered well somewhere? Um, question Mitty, mark? Mitty, Mitty Rivers might have fallen in a well? Yeah, like he might have fallen in a well. Like an old well? An old well, exactly. An old ghost town well. Okay. That's a possible thing if that I had we've a, got If going I had on. a dime for every time I fell into a ghost town well. Yeah, it's weird. Well, okay, so so you've got him. That's in November... 1945. Then December 1946, you've got World probably... War II's over. That's nice. World War II's over. Yeah, I actually wondered. I was thinking about like, could this be connected with a crazed World War II vet? <laughs> you know, like who just... came back from World War II and was like, was I'm going so to the Glastonbury ghost town. Fucked up. And I'm going to push some people down into wells. Yeah. Well, there's, well, so there's like eight people who still live in this ghost town. I don't know how many lived in there. Still in the now? 40s. Yeah, now. Like in 2020? Yeah, I believe so. They're like, hey, welcome to Glastonbury. Yeah, there's like eight residents, you know. This town was never going to make it, but here we are. (laughs) Yeah, so I I don't know. I wonder if if there was a... One of my theories is a crazed World War II vet, okay? It doesn't explain... You ever hear the story of the old 
World War II vent. Who Doesn't explain Carl being squeezed to death. Old midi rivers. But Carl, his man Carl was bear hugged. Well, what if it was like a, a vet who had PTSD and who was just out there like shooting people, you know? And Why then, like, would he go to Southern Vermont? Was he from there? Like, I don't understand this theory. Been. Like, was is the only thing that made you think of this theory was the year 1945? Yes. Okay, so it was like 1945. <laughs> what happened? World War II ended. Okay, great. So it was a World War II vet. He went to Southern Vermont. He bear hugged a guy to death. And then he stuffed an old man named Mitty into a well. <laughs> it's definitely possible. Henceforth, it's this area will be possible. known as the Bennington Triangle. Hey, right, well, I well, think it's possible. There's a story of a World War II veteran who came back here. and. Okay, well, then you've got Paula. Okay, Paula Weldon. She's probably the most famous one because she does fit in that category of people whose mysterious disappearances are immediately blown up into a big deal, which is a young white woman, right? Like a young white woman disappears and everyone's like, oh my God. Whereas, you know, Mitty Rivers fell down a well somewhere and people are like, oh shit. People shit on Mitty Rivers' legacy. <laughs> oh, did you hear Mitty? I might have fallen down a well or something yeah, out there about a ghost old... town. Ah, well, he owed me $5. But yeah, Paula... He owed me two sticks and a bun. <laughs> This is my impression of people in Southern Vermont. I've never been to Vermont. No, it's not. I don't think it's like that. Have you been to Vermont? I mean, no. Okay, why did it take you so long to answer? I was I mean, making sure. Um, I was making sure in my head. Anyway, Paula Weldon, she's a student at Bennington College, okay? Um, it's December 1st. She's a sophomore. She's been acting kind of down that day, kind of sad. Apparently, at some point, her roommate recommended that she go on a hike to feel better like maybe you should just go for a walk paula you know where's her roommate from if she sounds like that <laughs> well maybe you should go for a walk paula just go for a walk paula, hey, paula. is her is her roommate owen wilson hey yeah, paula actually just go for say, a walk i was gonna say her oh, roommate God, was owen hey, wilson paula, paula's feeling kind of down <laughs> from royal oh, she, and oh Ross. she disappeared <laughs> like that guy Mitty, Mitty rivers <laughs> Okay, you're you're getting me sidetracked. So she's feeling down. Her roommate suggests she go for a hike. She is woefully underprepared for an actual hike. She leaves her dorm wearing like jeans, sneakers, and a light red coat, which becomes very important in the mythology of this case. Um, and she's so she's not she's obviously not looking to actually go anywhere long term. It's also as with all of these disappearances in the afternoon. So I think it's around 4 p.m. that she leaves her dorm room. She is spotted on the road towards the Glastonbury forest. Um, and she's spotted like getting to going towards the long trail. The long trail is this trail that goes throughout a bunch of the Vermont woods. Um, but this section of it in Glastonbury in the Glastonbury areas where a lot of the disappearances happen. So she's spotted almost getting on the trail. There's some stories that I can't really find citation for that say there are even two people, like a couple on the trail who see her about a hundred yards in front of them. And then according to those stories, they watched her go around a turn. And when they went around the turn, she was no longer there. And basically no one sees her again. And there's a gigantic search because her dad is very wealthy and um, he puts out, you know, the New York Times runs a story. He creates all of this, like, fuss in the government. Because of this case, the Vermont State Police are created. 
Whoa, an entire police department is created? Yes. There was actually no Vermont state police before this. They were like, Paul is the last straw. They were like, oh. Get some state funds in here. Exactly. So, so and they someone do... comes by and is like, oh, my friend, uh, Minnie Rivers. Now shut up. <laughs> There's a young heiress missing. We need, we need exactly. cars. We need weapons. Exactly. We well, need they... bullets. No, it's fascinating because it's the first time they use a helicopter in a search for We need one of those whirly blade planes. In Vermont, anyway. I don't know about it. What year world. are we in now? We're in 1946. Okay, so we're in 46. And uh, one of the reasons her cases also seem, seem so weird to people is the fact of the red coat, because people say, well, you know, even if she had fallen or, you know, gotten lost, like you would see that red coat from, from up high, right? You'd be able to see it. Um, no one ever found her. Um, and so... Cave. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a, maybe another well. Cave. Oh, oh well, unclear. yeah. What unclear. if she fell into the same well that many rivers fell in, so she, they were kind of stuck on top of each other? There's a well in these woods just filled She's, with bodies, well, or just yeah. chock full of bodies. Or she was fine. She was fine. She was like, oh, this this old this old man's bones broke my fall. But then somebody else went in the well and was like, oh. So it's like Pringles. Well, this one, okay. Ooh, Bennington Pringles. I actually have, I, am I talking for too long? No. Okay. Oh, I don't know. So I have kind of a spooky I've never thing done this. with this one, though, because- I was reading about it, and in my head, unbidden, came to me the passage from Haunting of Hill House. There's, if you haven't, okay, first of all, if you haven't read Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, it's a masterpiece. You should read it. Um, but there's a passage where the two of the main characters are outside the house. They're in the woods, and they also have this, like, weird, not weird, but this like very strained lesbian undercurrent and they're kind of fighting, but they kind of love each other, but they're not going to say it. And they're kind of almost daring each other to say something and they're walking and they're walking on this trail. And then they see, they see this weird vision of a picnic. Um, and it's very bright colors and there's red, there's like a red sweater. And then, um, you just know it's this very spooky picnic and then all of a sudden one of them says to the other don't look don't look run and they just run away from this picnic and it's one of the scariest Whoa. scenes in the whole book wow because you don't actually know what was happening at the picnic that made one person say like don't look just run is it nighttime when the picnic happens no oh it's like pure <laughs> so it's just, it's if like i wandered upon a a picnic and and it was normal, like light outside, and you're like, "What's that?" And I was like, "It's a picnic." And then I was like, "Run!" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Run. So in any case, I thought of this picnic scene, and I think it's because they're in the woods, and this this everything is described in the scene as being really bleached of color until you come across this very colorful picnic. And I was thinking of the red coat and the running away. And then I kept reading about it, and it turns out Shirley Jackson actually lived in this area Whoa. during this time, and uh, the Paula Weldon case is rumored to be the inspiration for one of her other books. So I wonder if there's oh something God. going on with the picnic in uh, Haunted come How come Mitty Rivers didn't inspire Shirley Jackson? <laughs> I mean, come on. It's not, oh, Mitty didn't inspire much character. and most, I would say. Not even in himself. Um... So that's a really weird one. And then and then there's three more disappearances. The next one is weird because it's um, three years to the day after Paula Weldon disappears. So it's, again, December 1st, um, 1949. And this one is James Tedford. This is, a, this is a weird one. He's on a bus. He's a very unhappy man. He's had some problems in his marriage. He's older. Um, he's a vet, speaking of the crazed vets. A veterinarian? And, 
No, a World War II vet. Did he fight in World War II? Yes. That's in what a vet where, means. Where, uh, what, what branch of the military? I don't know. Maybe it's not World War II. Maybe I made that up. Well, what would it be like if was it was older. not? Well, if he was older, maybe it was World War I. Oh, it could have been. A.K.A. the Great War. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> he's supposed to go to... Um, he was a resident of the Bennington Soldiers' Home, and he had been away visiting family, and he's supposed to go back to the Soldiers' Home, and he, he doesn't want to go back, and he kind of... People around him know he's kind of unhappy with it. And he gets on this bus... And the bus actually. Oh yeah, I read about this one. Goes, this one's, this is this plays into my thing that I was scared of before. Yeah, it's okay, weird. The yeah. bus route goes through the Glastonbury Triangle area. He is seen at the last stop um, before Bennington. He he's sighted by multiple people, including a friend of his who says he talked to him. Like there was a friend of his, I guess, in the in the town. And uh, like I guess it, at he, the last stop, yeah, at those oh, it's like, stop oh, previous hey. to Bennington, yeah, where he had gotten off the bus to, you know, I don't know, get some water. I remember our times in the Great the War, and yeah, they, they said hi and hi. Then, supposedly, <laughs> he got back on the bus. Have a good trip. But when oh, they well, there's get only to... one stop left, so I'll be fine. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I'm acting out every moment. <laughs> okay. out of... How's the bus? It's well, weird. it's a little hot. That he gets back on the bus. Oh, this is December. It's December first. Oh, it's a little cold. Stop it. No, okay, sorry. All right. He gets Must back. be Southern Vermont. <laughs> There's no snow. In he Southern gets Vermont. back on the bus. When they get to Bennington, he's not on the bus. And his timetable is still on his seat with his luggage. That one's the there. weirdest to me. So I'm like, okay, did you did you look at like what's the what are the miles between the last stop and the the the, the previous one? I Wait. haven't mapped out the miles, but okay. the bus did not make any stops. No, but it, but it, you mean in between? In between. But what was the, do you know that, do you have the name of the last stop? Or Bur- this? I believe the last stop was Burlington. And then the, do you have the previous? The, to Burlington? The one where his friend was. No, that's was like, Burlington. Hey. Oh, but then what was the one after that? Bennington. Okay, so the, di- it's the, we just have to look up the mile difference between Burlington to Bennington. Yeah, that's Okay, hold it. on. Well, but I was going to say the, there is a theory that he just, this whole like, oh, I saw him at Burlington and then he got back on the bus that maybe he just got off at Burlington and was like, fuck it. I'm not going back to the soldier's home. I'm staying here or like going somewhere else because he wasn't a happy person. Um, wait, wait, <laughs> that seems like an important detail because he wasn't a happy person. Well, and also the other sad thing is that the soldier's home, not great not great follow-up on the soldier's home. They were supposed to expect him back that day, right? Well, he never showed up. No one even bothered to think about that until over a week later, where they're like, oh, what about Tedford? Did he ever come back? No. Oh, have you guys seen Tedford? Yeah, so they called his family, like, and it had already been a long time. So by the time they, a lot of people will say by the time they did the interviews of the people on the bus, it was like, you know, a bus passenger being like, I don't know, two weeks ago, yeah, I saw him. Uh, I'm looking it up right now, and it says that, okay, so from from Burlington down to Bennington, you would take, it, I, we think if it's 1949, if they had the highways back then, right? You're still not on the freeway. You're taking no. Highway 7 down to Highway 4. Yeah. And then it's about two hours and 43 minutes, which is a substantial uh, ride. But the yeah. bus isn't stopping. No, no stops. 
There's water right by Burlington, too, so he could have just... And a passenger did report seeing him sleeping on the bus at some point during that stretch. But again, it's passengers you're talking to two weeks later, and who knows what they're they're like. Oh, they're like, I saw saw Tedford sleeping in between Burlington and Bennington. Yeah. Whoa. I don't know. Unclear. That's weird. Then you've got this kid, Paul Jeffson. Paul Jeffson. Like Paula Weldon was wearing a red coat. Whoa. Um, eight years old. This oh, one's no, a weird kind of sad yeah, one. His mom old. leaves this him in good. the in the pickup truck. His mom works at the dump, and she leaves him in the pickup truck to go feed the pigs, and no one ever sees her again. A lot of people think her his parents. Or him. Him. Yeah, I was gonna say like she. <laughs> no, no, no. The boy. A <laughs> that, lot of that people. That took a turn. I wasn't like. No. The pigs ate her. Well, a lot of people think the parents fed him to the pigs. Oh, that's. Fuck. Yeah, they no, think the parents why? maybe fed him to the pigs. Why would? Why is there any backstory there? I don't know. That's just what they say. But... That's what they say. <laughs> Old man Tedford was sleeping against the window, and I heard that the kid was fed to those pigs. Out I there. mean, to be honest, that one's probably an abduction. They did get yeah, bloodhounds always... in. The bloodhounds yeah. tracked his scent to a nearby crossroads, where probably someone picked him up off the side of the road. I hate um, that one. It's not good. Don't leave your kid alone while you're feeding the pigs. No, I don't like but that. But the other weird one, though, is that the, the weird part of the case is that the dad reported that the son had actually been talking a lot about wanting to go to the mountain over and over again during, like, the three days preceding his disappearance. Whoa. Almost as though, like, something was calling him to the mountain, right? So maybe, like, That's I don't creepy. know, if you want to go paranormal, the mom's like, don't get out of the pickup truck. And then he just is like, I have to go to the mountain. I heard a voice in my head, an old man named Mindy Rick. And then, yeah, yeah, that was in October. And then you've got the last one, which is... how many people are there? Well, this is the last one. This is the last one, which is only a couple weeks after Paul. Um, Same year, 1950, Frida Langer. Um, This is also, Chris, tracks with what you were talking about with the narrow window, because she was camping with some friends in the mountains. Um, She was with some friends about 100 yards from their camp. Slipped and fell in a creek, got her clothes a little wet, and was like, oh, I'm going to go back to camp and and change. Gone. Right? And she's got... So some of her friends are actually at the camp, right? And one friend is with her like 100 yards from the camp. She never never makes it back to the camp. She's never seen again, except she is actually seen again. They find her body. But here's the creepy part of this one. They search and search and search, full search of the area, right? Nothing's, Nothing's recovered. It's actually... Hold on, I'm looking this up. It's a year, no, it's like six months later. They find her body, but they find it in an open field that they'd previously searched multiple times. And it's oh. so badly decomposed, they can't tell what the cause of death was. Whoa. So that one's upsetting because like it's like, it there. couldn't be an animal, right? Because like somebody placed her body in that field. That is creepy. Or something. That's really scary. Yeah. Anyway, those are my disappearances, the Bennington Triangle. I think the reason I was drawn to it, like I said, is that it's so strange that it's this collection of disappearances during this concentrated period of time, all at the same time of year, all at the same time of day, um, multiple different directions you can go when you're researching them in terms of trying to figure out what actually happened and no answers that we're ever going to find. Like, I know the Paula Weldon case... Um, I heard an investigator on YouTube talking about it, saying that he was sad that no questions were asked 
of the family that would be asked today if somebody like that disappeared. Like, they didn't do the investigative work that we would do today in terms of like, what was your relationship with your daughter like? That that seems to be like a major problem that happens in a lot of these things where it's like... Oh, we forgot to ask the question of, did you hate him? Or like... Right. Like, was there bad blood? Was she murdered by your friend here? Well, some people think maybe her boyfriend, you know, maybe she had a secret boyfriend that like, you know, picked her up and got her out because she was unhappy with her rich, terrible family or... Paula? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We're never going to know. It's What's the part of this that scares you the most? Or like, that really bugs you? That gets under your skin. I mean, I, I think I'm obsessed a little bit with hiking disappearances because I really like to hike. And mm-hmm. I think that part of hiking that is scary is the knowledge that like maybe one day you just never come back. Stay on the path. Well, yeah, you you know, you always have to tell the person like, this is the trail I'm going on. This is where I'm going. But, you know, I even was thinking about like a couple years ago, I was up in Ojai hiking um, by myself and you got really mad at me about this because I was, I was in Ho- Ojai by myself. And I was like, I want to go on a hike, right? So I looked up a hike. It seemed like a hike I could do. It was like a seven or eight mile hike. It wasn't crazy. I had hiking shoes. I had water. I had snacks. You know, I'm not dumb. So I take everything with me. When I get to the trailhead, I realize that my phone is almost out of batteries. It's at like 12%. I have a really old phone. It was not charged properly. And I was like, it's okay. I'm going to go on the hike. And I think I texted you like, I'm going on this hike, blah, blah, blah. Did you say, my phone's going to die? I think I did. And I think at that point, you already were mad. And then... Um, Wait, why was I mad? Because you were it... like, don't go on a hike by yourself with a dying phone. Oh, yeah. But I was like, oh, I'm going to stay on the trail. And then, of course, as happens when you're on a trail you're not familiar with, I took a wrong turn at some point. Um, and I didn't realize it until like six miles in where I was like, this is not the hike. And I was like, I was like in a field of flowers with like the tiniest trail. You know, when you go on a hike and all of a sudden the trail is getting smaller and smaller. And yeah, you're like, just, it just runs Wait. out and you're like, oh, this is where the person who made the trail died. Yeah, like is this, I'm clearly not, still not on the real trail. Like somebody once walked up here five years ago by mistake is where I am. Um and I turned around, but I remember getting a little freaked out of like, whoa, that could have gone bad. Um, so you I have that- you have Paul Paula who was not hiking and she disappeared. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Mitty l- was hiking. Mitty was hiking. <laughs> oh, Mitty Rivers party. loved to go up there and hike. We were all hunting, but you know, he was a free spirited sort. And then uh, you had uh, well, Tedford wasn't hiking. No, he was on a. Bus. Tedford was on a bus, but uh, the the little boy, he was he was like, I want to go to the mountain. Been. Yeah, he might have been. I want to go hike. to the mountain. So they feel like and this Frida, idea. Frida was camping. Frida was camping and hiking and yeah. hiking. So it's like you have a this weird kind of destination into the the middle of uh, the unknown, and you just get swallowed up. Yeah, That's but freaky. it's such a concentrated string of disappearances that it doesn't it's not like people continue to disappear in that area to this day you know Mm -hmm. which does make me feel like it was one crazed bear or like one who then died bear in 1950 right especially because it's the winter right like the bear is hibernating during the spring and then or no wait a minute that doesn't work bears (laughs) hibernating in the winter (laughs) hold on so it wasn't a bear maybe it was one crazed mountain lion what's the guy in 43 who was squeezed to death Carl. Was that uh, in the winter or was that in that the summer? That was in the winter. Oh, so there's no bear hug there. No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, so. a winter bear hug, no. It could also be aliens. Some people say maybe aliens. it's a portal to oh, another world. That was world. a left turn. 
Well, some people think maybe there's some stone up there that's a portal where if you touch it, you so. get sucked into like a new another dimension. No. There's some weird stone cairns up there that no one knows why they're there. Did you say stone cairns? Stone cairns, like C-A-I-R-N-S. <laughs> I thought you meant like a group of, of, of older older white women <laughs> who are like, we believe in the stone. No, we think that no. if you touch the stone, you'll go into another dimension. No. Don't argue with me. <laughs> they didn't put the whipped cream on my caramel frappuccino again. All we right. believe you in the stones. Tell, you should tell yours. You should tell yours. Okay, so I want to talk about somebody else who disappeared. This is a person whose name is Barbara Newhall Follett. Follett. I don't know. Barbara was born in 1914. Um, she 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 was born in New Hampshire. So we're doing Vermont New and New Hampshire today. Vermont and New Hampshire today. Must be southern New Hampshire. Um, okay, so <laughs> she has... She, her mom is a children's writer. Her mom, Helen, is a children's writer. Uh, her dad is named Wilson, Wilson Follett. Uh, f- he's actually fairly well known. He wrote, well, first, he's the, he Are edited. These, is this related to Ken Follett? No. I don't know. <laughs> the, they're the, the, the trade paperback? Yeah. Ken know. Follett. Ken Follett's grandmother, Barbara. No. You never know. Maybe. Ken, if you're listening, please shoot us an email. Um, no, this is Wilson Follett. He he edited the first uh, collection of Stephen Crane, which I think is interesting. Stephen Crane. I hate Stephen Crane. I hate Stephen Crane. Stephen Crane, I, you know, that's not fair. And Stephen Crane, Stephen Crane himself died at 29, which I is very sad. I don't hate him because of that. I hate that he died young. Why would he do that to me? Um... Anyway, uh, Wilson, he also worked on uh, something called Follett's Modern American Usage, which was kind of like an, an MLA back in the day, uh, like a syntax manual. Uh, he worked for Alfred Knopf, which is important. So, Knopf. Okay, Alfred, Kn- Alfred Knopf. Do you, do you pronounce the K? Don't you say Knopf? No, like knife? Why would I pronounce Knopf? I feel like you say Knopf. Knopf? No one says Knopf. The okay. big thing that's... Weird for I me is it feel like it would be knife, but then it's the p p f at the end. How do you say the knop knop knop? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, he worked for uh, that place. <laughs> His daughter was very precocious and smart. She was already writing poetry at the age of four. Uh, Never trust a young poet. Right. But uh, it's because her dad gave her a typewriter, a small typewriter. And at this point, obviously, typewriters were, were not for kids, folks. But they, he was like, I'm going to get my daughter a typewriter because she seems so smart. It was a, um, And then by the time she was um, eight oh, – by the way, I, 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 was, I read a lot of this off Wikipedia. I've also – I've got Barbara's books here. She's a published author. Uh, she was. Um, and I also – I was reading an article by Paul Collins from Laugh-Ums Quarterly. Uh, for some of this, which is extremely well researched, if you want to know more. But um, wait, hold on, Laphams. I always said Laphams? it Laphams. Laphams. See, well, now we're is, back at Knopf. now we're back to Knopf. Knopf and Lap. I don't know how to pronounce any of Laphams. these literary things. Laphams. No. Not Laphams. No. Laphams. Laphams quarterly, four times a year, folks. Seasonal. Okay, so. Barbara, she immediately she was she had a big imagination. She invented her own land called Farxolia, and everyone in Farxolia spoke their own language, which was Farxu. 
And uh, she had this typewriter. And then um, as a birthday present for her mom, she started writing a story about a young girl named Epersip. E-E-P-E-R-S-I-P. Epersip. She started writing this. She was eight. She was going to give it to her mom for her birthday. Then their house burned down. Hello. Didn't see that coming, did you? Her house burned down. Uh, everyone was fine, but they lost. Uh, she lost her manuscript. So she started to retype it from memory, which took her four years. And by the time she was 12, she had a full novel. And the novel was called House... I'm uh, sorry. Uh, you know, A House Without Windows. Yeah, I have it right here. Is it a ho- scary book? The House Without Windows? Yeah. No. So it it's a scary. pure... Ext- I know, it's a great title, but it's a this kind of pure expression of joy. Um, Why doesn't from a 12 year old girl? But here's the thing. Uh, oh, because the whole book is about a young girl who runs away, hint, hint, mm. okay, into the outer world and, fall, and she's in love with nature. First the meadows, then the sea, then the mountain. Oh, so nature is the house without windows? Yes. Wouldn't it be the house without walls, though? Well, you could call it the house without indoor plumbing, I guess, if you wanted to, but that doesn't sound as good. You know what I mean? But nature is all windows. The house, the house without a uh, without a water a water heater. She writes this at twelve, and she uh, shows her dad. And by the way, she kept a, like a note on her door that was like, "Do not enter," right? But like a very precocious kid version of that while she was writing. And she gives the manuscript her, to her dad and her mom, and her, her dad reads it, and he's like, mm, "Maybe I should bring this over to Alfred Cape Knob." <laughs> <laughs> and. It's not just like a dad thing. I don't think this, I don't think Wilson was like this. It, from what I understand is Wilson was not the kind of dad to be like, oh, whatever you want, honey. I just think you're the apple of my eye. I think he loved her, but I think also he was really impressed with the book. So he brought it over to Alfred K. Pnoff, and they, uh, they loved it. And they published it. So she published a novel at 12 years old. What are you doing over there? Are you looking at Twitter? No, I'm you looking asshole. up how to pronounce Knopf. Knopf. It is a hard... I think it's a hard K. I think I was no. right. No. It's Knopf? It's German, so the original pronunciation would be with a short, hard K. Knopf. Knopf. Okay, no, no so anyway, uh, so they published the book. She publishes it at 12. It's a smash success. The New York Times loves it. H.L. Mencken writes a really good review of it. It's like a huge thing. Okay, so then she, everyone's like, whoa. She starts reviewing other children's books. She like reviews an A.A. Milne book, which is crazy. The writer of Winnie the Pooh. She's like, I, okay, this is what I want to do next, mom and dad. And they like kind of indulged her every whim. They were, and she was like, I want to go out to sea. I want to go on a sea journey. And so the parents like call around and figure it out. And they get her a job, a job with an asterisk. Like she's a passenger. How old on, is she at this point? She's 12. That's too young. Well, that, okay. Well, more on that in a second, because there were some people of the era who agree with you. Yeah, I, that's too that young. That this was a, ho- a house of cards waiting to collapse. These parents seem very irresponsible. Okay, well, but they love their daughter. Okay. And they're more, they're more responsible love, than you realize. True love has boundaries. They get her work on a uh, lumber schooner. So she goes away on a lumber schooner that summer, right? The book's already been published. Uh, she spends the summer at sea. And then she comes home and she writes the book. She has the manuscript at Alfred Knopf by November. And the book comes out like 12 days um, after she turns uh, 14. 
which is crazy. And it's called The Voyage of the Normandy. Like The Voyage of the Mimi? Uh, I don't know what that is. What is that? You don't... Yes, you do. That was the thing all of us had to watch in, like, seventh grade science with a young Ben Affleck on, like, retracing Darwin's sea voyage. No. Okay. This has nothing you to do with You guys know that. what the voyage of the mean is. It has the is. word voyage in it. It's the, But it's not... I don't want you to think of it as Normandy, like the beach. It's the voyage of the Norman D, period. Like, yeah, like a, I got a, that. a kid in preschool would be like, we have Norman F and we have Norman D, right? Okay. That book, loved. It's like a travelogue. Everyone's like, this kid is a master. There's one woman who writes for the New York Herald Tribune. Her name is Anne Carol Moore. And she says, what price will Barbara have to pay for her big days at the typewriter? Basically, what does that mean? No, she's saying she, she, she's peaked too soon. She's going to have her best years behind her where she's 12 and 14 and wrote these like incredibly received, much acclaimed books. That sounds to me like the woman saying she's missed out on being a child. She was saying that too. She, she was saying this is not healthy. Books. Yeah. She was saying she was saying that the books are good, but she was saying the kid needs to be playing and being a kid. Right? Yeah. I don't know if you agree with that, but I do. Well, but she wanted to write. She wanted to go out to sea. Our dog just shook his collar. Yeah, but kids don't know what they want. They're kids. Their brains are not Stupid formed. Stupid kids. They want ice cream for dinner every night. They want to go to the mountain. Exactly. Oh. They don't want to wait for their mom who's feeding the pigs by the dump. Okay, so here's the, and then the, here's where the sad stuff comes in. Okay, so the dad leaves. This is sad. Wilson, the guy who fostered her ambitions from a young age, he's like, um, sorry, guys, I'm seeing a younger woman. So he surprise, leaves. Surprise, surprise. He leaves the mom, Helen, and he leaves her. He leaves Barbara, which is very sad, and she doesn't take it well. Does she have siblings? Yes, she does. Uh, I Was think... she like the youngest? No. So they're like, just go to sea. No. <laughs> We're done. Get out of here. No, uh, no. She, I think she's a younger sister. Her, one of her sisters becomes the first graduate student who is a woman at Princeton in 1961. Good Which for is her. crazy. Okay, so right around this time, this is like 1929, the Great Depression hits. Her dad's gone. Uh, she runs away. Hint, hint. She's 15. She runs away from Los Angeles, where she's living at that point with her mom. And she runs to San Francisco. She gets into a hotel at this point. And the cops track her down, and they literally kick open the door, and she almost jumps jumps out the window. They have to grab her to stop her from going to the fire escape. And it's this big news story where it's like, you know, child prodigy and novelist, Barbara Follett, nearly escapes, you know, San Francisco police by leaping from window. Okay, so now it's the Great Depression. She's not doing great. She gets a job. Uh, in New York, wait, or maybe Los Angeles or Pasadena. Can't remember one of those, those are three. Very different. Well, the, no, the last two aren't that different. They're only about twenty miles apart. Okay. Okay, so she meets this guy. What's the job? Is it's it like, like flipping burgers? Clerical or work. Like... It's not. No, they don't have burgers in nineteen twenty nine. They might. No, there's no bur- burgers. Were invented in nineteen seventy four. No. Mm-hmm. Look no, it up. They weren't. Look it up. I, that's Look it that's up. false. Yep, burgers, nineteen seventy four. All right, I'm looking that up. Okay, go ahead. Keep talking. Okay, so 
she marries this adventurer guy. I think she's 18. His name, you'll like his name. His name is Nickerson Rogers. Almost as good as Mitty Rivers. Nickerson is an adventurer. He is an, a, a self, self-described self outdoorsman. Okay? I knew this. Hold on. Pause. <laughs> Louis Lassen from New Haven created the burger in 1900. Louis Lunch, New Haven. Yeah, I knew that. I was. I didn't actually know that, but I just, I just made that up. Full of shit. I made that up. You looked it up, though, so. But burgers gained national recognition at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, when the New York Tribune refu- referred to the hamburger as the innovation of a food vendor on the pike. All right, well, that's next episode is the burger. Okay. Okay, so, okay, so Nickerson Rogers, an adventurer, they meet, they fall in love. It's like a whirlwind. They backpack through Europe. Uh, they go sailing to Spain. They uh, they hike the Swiss Alps. All kinds of stuff. This is amazing, right? Then they move back home. He has to get a job. And they are living in Boston. And it's the mid-30s, so we're squarely in the Great Depression at this point. And wouldn't you know it, she figures out... Oh, and by this point, she's published another novel. She's published a novel as an adult, technically, called The Lost Island. Or Lost Island. There's no the. Sorry. I feel like the cover of that one is really sexy and weird. And when I saw it lying around our house, I was like, what is Chris reading? Like, it's these like so you're erotic. Rid- yeah, there's hands gripping a tree. A and you don't see the face. Cover. It's a no, it's beautiful. Actually, the guy that put this out, it's called the, it's Farksolia Press. And it's someone who thinks they might even be related to her. Is it Ken Or Follett? like is distantly <laughs> With a forward by Ken Follett. I mean, you never know. No, it's not Ken Follett. His name is uh, Stephen Cook. More That's on, what he more on says Stephen his name is. Uh, he's, I think he's related to the family distantly, but he's not. Okay, anyway. He's just a wannabe? No, he's not. Don't like, say that on our podcast. Okay, he's sorry. actually done incredible research. Some of this sorry. stuff comes from the afterword of his book, because he published this last year. He published The Lost Island. Sorry, Lost Island. It's like the Eagles. <laughs> it's not the Eagles, man. It's Eagles. Sorry, Glenn Fry. No, I apologize, Stephen Cook. It is actually a beautiful cover. It just seemed like something that my husband would not usually read. Maybe. Don't judge a book by its cover. Okay, so, but then in 1939, she realizes, lo and behold, her husband, Nick, short for Nickerson, um, is seeing another woman. Shocker. She has a fight with him. She's written a couple friends about this. She's 25 years old. December 7th, 1939. She takes $30 out of the house. She walks out the front door of their house in Brookline, Massachusetts. She's never seen again. Wait, do you think she maybe went to the to the woods in Glastonbury? So this, in Vermont? Yeah. Well, this is, so this is the deal. Okay, so this is what I wanted to focus on. Well, there's a couple things. First, okay, it takes, it takes Nickerson, dude, two weeks to go to the police. Two weeks. So maybe he killed her. This is, um, everybody's like, yeah, maybe he killed her. Um, but there's a crazy thing from this um, afterward that I want to talk about, too. Uh, but then it's four months for him to file a missing persons uh, report. Well, so either he and, killed her or he knew that she wanted to be somewhere else. And she is this sort of like wandering soul. That's right? what she's been since she's been alive. Right. But and he did it under her married name, which would have been Barbara Rogers. So no one would have known that the famous author right, was missing, and they don't really even figure it out. People, it's not even a a story that she's missing until 1966. And so at that point, it's like, 
as 20, 22 years, right? Why does it take oh, that sorry, long? That's, uh, 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 no, that's 50, 52 years. My math was so bad there. No, because that's he not doesn't. 52 no, years? No, from 1914 to 1966. She didn't disappear in 1914. No, it's when she was born. I mean, oh, right? So oh, she would have been oh. fit, but she disappeared when she was 25. Right, right. Okay, so some people think the mom, especially Helen, was like, Nickerson's hiding something, right? Like, Nickerson did it. Easy explanation, as we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Also, his name is Nickerson. Nickerson, short for Nick. Dear Nick. All right, so I, I, I've gone through, um, I don't, I couldn't find Nickerson a... is actually long for Nick, not short for Nick. It's, sorry, it's short, you're right, it's long for Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Nickerson is long for Nick. By the way, Brookline, Massachusetts is only, I just looked it up, it's only like three hours and 14 minutes from Glastonbury. So if she wanted to go for a good hike, you know, maybe she got out and maybe she's actually the first disappearance. She hiked to the Bennington Triangle. Was she wearing a red coat? She was not. Uh, there's a description of what she was wearing and it was not enough because again, like you, like your 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 peeps over there, it was December seventh, and she did not go out with like enough warm clothes. Pearl Harbor Day. Pearl Harbor Day in nineteen thirty nine. So we were two years away from a massive attack, uh, but she, no one was celebrating Pearl Harbor Day <laughs> no on December seventh. I'm just noting the anniversary. Noting the anniversary beforehand. The prescient anniversary. December. She's like something's going to happen. Today, in two years, I have to go. How much money do we have? $30. I wonder, I actually Thanks, have a, Nickerson. I, I'm wondering I'll be something. Back. I'm wondering something, which is, what time of year do you think the most occur disappearances occur? It has to be winter because it's darker. It's got to be. It's colder. You fall down. You get buried in snow. Or you, or just, you just are die. so done with being in your life, right? At that point of the year where you're like, I want out. Yeah, like, you have, you have seasonal leave. affective disorder and you're yeah, like, Yeah, or it's Bye. the holidays and you hate it, right? And your mom's yeah. like, you've put on some weight. Yeah, well, you go to like a really terrible winter place where, you know, the sun is coming up at like 11.30 a.m. and going down at 11.48. Yeah, you know, like, you're like I'm these done. people who live in New England. I mean, I don't know if right. any of you have lived through a New England winter, but it's really not great. Okay, so I have her books here. I don't have the the Voyage of the Norman D. That's very hard to find. But they put out a new version of the House Without Windows a few years ago, and and then like I said, Stephen Cook and his label Farxolia put out this really beautiful edition of Lost Island. So this is the difference between these two books that I wanted to talk about. This is what I think is fascinating to me because there's a theme through her books throughout that it's about, all of her books are about someone who wants to run away, and she's done it. A few times in her life before, clearly, at the end. And then also uh, when she was 15. And then you could even say when she went to go onto the boat, the schooner, right? She was on the schooner boat. Do you think this is just one long setup for Nickerson, though, where he's like, everyone will think she ran away because everything in her life points to running away. So the, I've got a clean slate. The perfect crime. Yeah. I don't think he's that smart, to be honest. He does seem like a, like a poor guy, like a not... They were really struggling... He's, Being poor doesn't mean you're not. I don't know, like cunning. his. Yeah, but he's an he's a self described outdoorsman. That to me doesn't that doesn't say cunning like cunning outdoorsman doesn't go together. For I mean, some you're reason slandering a lot of people like like Mitty Rivers. <laughs> some guys, some guys listening to this right now, being like, oh, I'm a cunning outdoorsman. <laughs> they exist. They exist. The first book. This is kind of the most pure 
expression, right? This is the thing she started as a birthday present for her mom, and then she published at 12. It's about a little girl named Epersip, Epersip, who runs away, and, and then she first discovers the meadow, and she loves the meadow, and then she runs away to the sea, and then she gets tired of the sea, and then she goes to the mountain. Now, there's not really a plot to the book. There are mentions of her parents looking for her in the meadow part. It's broken up into three sections, right? So her parents go to look for her. And there's kind of, there's a little, there's like scenes in the parents' perspective where they're like, where is she? They really just disappear from the book by the end. Like there's, like the parents just kind of like vaporize from the the book. Most of it is just her talking to animals and really like communing with nature and like wearing wreaths of butterflies. And the language is really beautiful, especially for a 12-year-old. But I wanted to read you. This is the last page. Okay, so she's in the mountain at this point, and she's in the forest of the mountain. So she wrote this when she was 12. And then she rose into the air and, hovering an instant over a great laurel bush, vanished. What? She was a fairy, a wood nymph. She would be invisible forever to all mortals, save those few who have minds to believe, eyes to see. To these she is ever-present, the spirit of nature, a sprite of the meadow, a naiad of lakes, a nymph of the woods. That's creepy. Yeah, the, the idea of, and then she rose into the air and hovering an instant over a great laurel bush, vanished. That's how the main character fares in her book, House Without Windows. She's 12 years old. So in another 12 years and change, she'll disappear. This is interesting, too, because I feel like this theme is actually not just missing persons. It's specifically like disappearing into the natural world. Yeah. Which is creepy. Yeah, basically just being accepted back into the earth. Because Ebersmith, 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 Ebersip literally uh, like transforms. And she has a metamorphosis, hmm. right? Okay, so, uh, you know, and then Normandy, and then um, she takes a schooner back with her mom. Okay, so this is something from the afterword of, of Lost Island. I'll get into Lost Island in a second. So she leaves... She leaves on a boat. This is in the book, the Normandy. No, no. This so she's oh. gone on the voyage of the Normandy, but at, for some reason, at a later date, she has to go on a boat again. This is just before she runs away to San Francisco. So, she goes on this boat. She meets the, I'm sorry, the second, the second mate, a guy named Edward Anderson. She's 15. He's 25. They become super close. They write each other from time to time. I'll just leave that more in. Okay, it's a little like weird. It's a little weird. Okay, but they have That's this statutory. really strong connection. Okay, and she's very precocious, you know. And, and That's not and, an and, excuse. And I'm not, she's a I'm child. not excusing anything that Edward she's Anderson may or may not have done. I'm not. But a few months after they got back, that's when she first ran away. And went to San Francisco. Do you think? Did she run away to be with him? Mm, I don't think so. I think did she run well, away. I think to she get was abortion? like, I don't know. I don't think that either. But I think that she. I do think that it might have been. She might have been. Okay, look. I don't know. Let's just say, she was confused 
And she, for her whole life, has been caught between childhood and adulthood. She's never really been either her whole life, which is weird. It's kind of like being a child star. Right? And if you love somebody, whether it's, you know, totally platonic and safe and maybe have romantic feelings for them, that's confusing. And then maybe, I don't know, the, the kind of darker version of that. And yet you're younger. That's also confusing. Lost Island is different than the other books because it is the it's really about the sadness of the person returning. So this is the plot, just really quick. A character named Jane has a boring job in New York City during the Great Depression. She goes onto a boat. She falls for the captain whose name is Davidson. Uh, they the boat. I don't remember the boat crashes or not, but it gets marooned on an island. The island is amazing. They have this amazing time on the island. It's just them. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's everything. Somebody, the people show up on the island and they find gold. These people have been looking for gold, which I think is interesting. They have to leave the island. She goes back to her life and he comes with and he's like fucking miserable, of course, right? Because he's like, shouldn't be there. He doesn't fit in her normal life. He goes back to sea. She misses him. He writes her letters every once in a while, like little things like, well, we pulled into that port and, you know, it's a little tricky, whatever. And then sometimes longer letters, but like it goes on so long that she, it almost feels like he and and the island and everything are like they didn't exist. She goes for a another dude who's kind of a more stable guy. His name is John. This the Davidson comes back and he's like, "I love you," and she's like, "I love you too." And uh, by the way, there's this guy John, and he's like, "What the fuck, John?" And she's like, "I'm sorry. What did you expect? You've been gone for years." He kind of learns to live with it, but then he just goes back on into the water. This is very sad because it's like somebody who realized that real life is terrible and yeah. the only way to live is through escapism, but escapism can never last forever by its very nature. Exactly. That's exactly what I... I it, okay, so then the book begins with her sad in New York, in gray New York is kind of how she describes it, and, and, the, and it ends the same way. This kind of reminds me of The Awakening, too, like a woman who... <sighs> wants an escape from her everyday life and when she finds it it changes everything for her but then that escape is unsustainable yes where it it feels like she went from escape 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 become part of the woods right Mm -hmm. to like escape 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 you can't escape forever gotta go back you're gonna be sad gotta go back and so i think i mean to get all grad student about the title Lost Island. Is the island from the Normandy? Uh, no, I, that wasn't where I was going at all. But oh, that's interesting. well, that's probably what it is, right? I, th- I think it's actually interesting that the Lost Island is the, it's the, it's the, the loss of the magical fantasy of the place that she cannot go to anymore. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The island from the Normandy that they go to and it's wonderful. Wait, what, are you talking about, you're, that's the plot of Lost Island. Oh, I thought that was the plot no, of Normandy. The plot of Nor- the voyage of Normandy <laughs> no, is when she. No, I'm no so the the voyage of the Normandy <laughs> is when she goes as a, a a passenger who does chores and things like a swabby. Okay. On a lumber scooter. I thought this whole plot you were describing was the plot of the travelogue, and I was really excited no, that's, that there was no, a connection no, between no, the books. No. Okay, no, I got it. I got it. Okay, so she does the Normandy. No, you're she comes right. The back Lost on a- Island is the loss of the escape. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And got and, it. and 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 she met Edward. Anderson on the the schooner back from somewhere else, either where she was dropped off at the Normandy or I, I forgot. So you think maybe she went to find her island? 
in real life. Well, she clearly couldn't handle, like she wanted to, she wants to be Epersmith. Sorry, why do I keep saying Epersmith? I don't know. She wants to be Epersip, not Jane. Right. Like even look at the two names. Yeah. Like Epersip, Jane. Right. It's very sad. I also want to show you this. This is this is the first sentence of Lost Island. Not even a cat was out. Second sentence is the rain surged down with a steady drone. It meant harm to New York and everyone there. Now here's here's the end. The rain surged down with a heavy drone. Well, it was time to go to work. Couldn't hang about the window all day. She peered out once more into the gray. As far as she could see, not even a cat was out. Gotta love those full circles. It makes me sad. Well, that's interesting. It's it's almost, I mean, not to make it a literary thing, but this reminds me so much of The Haunting of Hill House. I mean, the narrator of The Haunting of Hill House is this escapist young woman who's been trapped her whole life by her family. And the whole narration is her imagining amazing, fantastical ways her life could have gone, like how she could be a queen in this, you know, house filled with oleander. And the beginning of the book is the same as the end of the book, except... You know, she she dies at the end. Um, spoiler for Haunting of Hill House. So this guy, uh, Stephen Cook, he tracks through her letters where she would have gone in Massachusetts with Nickerson and, and through the letters. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, dedication to Lost Island. Are you ready? I'm ready. Is it to Nickerson? To my island? For E-A. Who's that? Edward Anderson. Oh. I didn't even tell you the crazy part here. Okay, you guys ready? Before like she, before she disappears. I don't like this. Before she disappears, Edward Anderson and her keep up via letters. They don't have any letters from her to Edward. They have a lot of his letters back because they were kept. Do you think that he burned hers because they were illegal? Don't know because eventually he married a woman named Wilma only to then grow very depressed, uh, walk out of their house, telegraph her from Chicago and say, I'm never going to see you again, keeps writing Barbara, heads to Seattle, is kind of like up doing some weird stuff. I'm trying to remember where he was, but eventually he they, he dies. Do you think he faked his death so that no, he could they be found his No, because Barbara? they found his body. Oh. But they don't know if it was an accident he, brought, he had a him. razor. No, he had a razor on him. They didn't know if he was going to go up there and kill himself or whatever, but like maybe killed himself. Sad. And then, you know, she she disappeared a few years later. So. He could have faked his own death. He's dead. He, there was his body. I mean, I'm just saying it's possible. No, you it's can have literally a body, not. Especially if it's like a burned body. It was not a burned body. Okay, <laughs> it's his assignments. <laughs> There was a sign on it that said Edward Anderson. <laughs> That's very suspicious. Generally labeled bodies are, I would say, a source of suspicion. So they, uh, anyway, so she would write in her letters when she found out that Nickerson was having an affair, that it was hard for her to go to sleep, that she would have to take the sleeping stuff. Okay? That's what she referred to it as. Laudanum? Don't know. It's called the sleeping stuff. This is getting house of mirth now. But, uh, Stefan this relative, he was able to construct 
maps and town records from the time period based on her letters and tried to find this farmhouse that Barbara and Nick might have rented, whom it belonged to. He found a likely candidate in the White House on Pulsifer Hill. So. Also in Massachusetts? I don't know at this point. I'm so confused. No. New Hampshire. No, New Hampshire authorities. In 1936, uh, I'm reading from uh, Stephens afterward. Elsie Lufkin Whittemore, 25 and pregnant, disappeared from her home in Plymouth, New Hampshire. Plymouth is a small town, blah, blah. They find some remains. Most of the skeleton, including the skull, had been scavenged by animals and washed away by the brook and snowmelt, but there were sufficient bones left to determine that they belonged to a woman about 25, and they had been there for several years, at least since 1939. Hmm. There was a medical school examination. There were glasses. Elsie, this woman, did not wear glasses. The shoe shoe size uh, was too big. Uh, uh, None of the belongings could be identified by the family. So much that the family was like, Elsie's family was like, we don't want these bones. This is not our daughter. So uh, one detail that could discount that it was Barbara was something going on with the teeth and the height. But then they they use modern techniques and the, the height is exactly Barbara's height. Interesting. So what he posits is... Uh, On December 7th, 1939, reading again, uh, Barbara took the train to Plymouth, arriving late at night. She either walked the five miles to the White House, which would be the farmhouse, I guess it's his family farmhouse, and spent the night there thinking of things over, or she walked the five miles to her final resting place beside Durgeon Brook, where she hugged a favorite pine tree for the last time, swallowed barbiturates from her medicine bottle, both items were recovered from the scene, and the doctor concluded that suicide was the cause of death, and died. This is really sad. I know. I thought we weren't going to make people sad. I'm sad all the time, so welcome to it. But no, we don't know, but they don't know if it's her, right? But th- So think about it. Sure. Did she have a relationship with this guy on the boat? That's the crazy thing that I keep thinking about. I don't like this one. I don't but it's like, like it's 19, uh, when she was on the boat, when she was 15, so that would have been 1929. Mm-hmm. Right? And, mm-hmm. she, and she has the pick, the, you know. She's like all sprightly. She's on the boat. She's already served on a boat. Her mom's on the boat. That's the one thing that's like, that doesn't make sense. Well, also, a lot of the, moms don't pay attention. There's a passing reference in this book that the dad, Wil- Wilson, did not approve of Edward. Well, no shit. Yeah, it was like, didn't like, and, and that's one of the re- main reasons why Barbara chose to live with her mom. I feel bad for this girl because she was just a child and I feel like she was made to grow up too fast and made into something that she wasn't, like shaped into a small adult that she actually wasn't. She was still a kid. And I feel like it it messed up her whole life and that's really sad. And I don't know. I don't know about her disappearance. It's a sad one. May I remind you of Anne Carol Moore's words in the New York Herald Tribune, what price will Barbara have to pay for her big days? At the typewriter. All right, so let's do our our theories. What probably happened in each case, like most likely, what most likely happened, and then just the short version, and then the short version of like what we wish happened. All right, so we'll do yours first, okay? So what's your practical theory about the Bennington Triangle? Practical theory is this rash of disappearances is a coincidence. Each (laughs) one has its own explanation, right? Like, oh, a bear, a mountain lion, parents fed him to the pigs, Old well, you know, different explanations. It just happened to be close together. The reason we group them together is because they all happen close together and people want to see an explanation where there's not. It's really just the random things that can happen to you while you're out hiking. 
Um, fringe theory. Yeah, fringe theory. I mean, look, I like the idea that Glastonbury is a thin place, as as you might say in Ireland, that, you know, there's some kind of liminal aspect to this area that it's not fully of earth, right? That when you go there, you're like touching something else and maybe you get sucked in. I really believe that. Should we go there? I very much would like to hike the long trail. I've been looking it up. You can't hike it on Google Maps. I've That'd tried. It's not it's not Google mapped. My my uh practical theory for the Bennington Triangle is exactly what you said. Wells, bears, murder. Abduction. <laughs> yeah. Abduction. Right? The the bus guy feels like he pulled a Barbara Follett and was like, fuck yep. you. Yep. Same with Paula Weldon. She could have just been like, I'm out of here. That's harder to do. I feel like she's got a narrow window to get out of there. She does. She does. But I do feel like it's kind of coincidence. My my fringe theory is, is yeah, it's like Dairy Maine. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, you even, I want to know more about the Native American. Yeah, uh, I came across uh, rumors that the, the tribe native to the area, which I, it starts with an A, I forget the name, would not go on that mountain. Um, I have not thoroughly researched that enough, um, but that's an interesting point. Yeah. Okay, so let's do um, Barbara. So pra- practical theory for me for Barbara is, yeah, she died. She uh, the, the, the thing that Stefan says in this book, it, I'm fairly convinced by, and it, these, these uh, remains. Oh, by the way, the remains disappeared. They can't find those. So that makes sense. So I think that's probably what happened. I do think that my fringe theory is probably not too fringe, but she had $30 on her, which if you go with inflation, I looked this up, it's uh, it's like 528 bucks. So like 528 bucks in 1939, that's like, or no, sorry, that she didn't have 520. But like if you had the equivalent of that in 19, you can go pretty far. Like that to me at least she gets you- She could have gone a, to Seattle. Yeah, like a, like a train ticket- uh some clothes like um you know uh a rent she's a smart person right yeah and that's the other thing is that she's extremely intelligent and i feel like she was like fuck this noise like i'm leaving like nickerson sucks like he's no longer an adventurer he he worked for polaroid at this point he did what my dad did he was a and i don't want the repeated history Right? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying <laughs> he did what your dad did. No. And I was like, oh, we don't no. want your dad to listen to this one now. <laughs> no, Whoa. I'm being, bar- I'm in Barbara's persona. Yeah, no, right? it's, a, it's a big thing of history repeating, right? Where it's like, I ran away. I came back. I, I ran away with Nickerson. We came back. Right? I, I was at sea with Edward and we came back. Edward, like, like, left my life and then came back in a sad way like and then and then i finally was like fuck it right like has to break the cycle yeah yeah and and so i feel like she had enough i people are only at 30 dollars on her but like 30 dollars is like you're i don't know doing pretty well in 1939 or at least you can get it i feel like that buys you transportation some clothes and some rent somewhere for a little bit with a new identity she's smart enough she's gonna get a job somewhere so maybe she lived out her days and she was like bah but also, I feel like here's the here's the problem with that though, she wouldn't be satisfied with that, mm-hmm. right? She can't just go to like Sheboygan and be like, "Well, I'm a typist." Like that's not Barbara Follett. I feel like she has to be like, "I am going to journey 
forever, you know, like I'm not going to go anywhere. Right. That's not awesome. So I don't know. Maybe she just went down to by the brook and maybe took she some enrolled in a stuff. college somewhere and restarted her life. Maybe she was Paula Weldon. She probably looked young. I know she was old, but she but probably could have pulled off pretending to be like a twenty-year-old college student. Barbara. Yeah. Barbara was twenty-five when she disappeared. I know. Yeah. Oh, you're saying she was young enough. I'm to saying she it. could have like made it work. Well, you. Yeah. I mean, you could you could enroll in high school. And you'd be fine. I have gray hair. Yeah, but no, but not normally. Because you, you know, it, during the pandemic, we do. <laughs> I'm just saying now. All right. Well, uh, Barbara Follett, Mitty Rivers. <laughs> wow, old man Mitty Rivers. We uh, never find him again. He must have fallen down one of those wells. Some Sometimes I'm out, I'm out hiking and I can hear old Mitty whistling. Stop it. Oh, I didn't even get into the Bigfoot type theories. Uh, look, oh look it up if you want to, but there's reports of a monster in Bennington that's like shaking carriages and stuff. <laughs> Just <laughs> dropping that right at the end. Oh, maybe Bigfoot. <laughs> so I don't know, guys. I hope you like the podcast. I don't believe in there that. There was a shaking a carriage. Well, that's the end then. Next week's episode is going to be about the desert. I'm excited. Yeah, we're going to do the desert. We're going to do things that happen in the desert. What's up with the desert? And maybe we're just going to continue our natural wonders theme here. Love it. All right. Well, I love you. I love you, too. You've been listening to Spores, Molds, and Fungus, a podcast hosted by me, Chris Cantwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Cantwell, Ph.D. You can follow us, respectively, on Twitter and bother us there. I'm at IfYouCantwell, and Elizabeth is at ECCantwell. We do have Instagram, but that's just pictures of our kids and pets, so it's not really for you. If you have any theories on the Bennington Triangle or Barbara Follett, or if you've got anything else you might be obsessing over, shoot us an email at sporespodcast at gmail.com. See you next week, and until then, happy ruminations. <laughs>